The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk to one of the world's most popular and influential marketers. Joining us is Eric Huberman, who is the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, which is a full-service marketing consultancy that acts as an outsourced CMO for their clients. Founded on the idea that every modern business needs a CMO-level expert to lead their digital marketing efforts, Hawk Media customizes data-driven, performance-focused solutions to help launch, scale, and invigorate businesses of all sizes, industries, and revenue models. And today, Eric and I are going to talk about his thoughts on whether ad spend will rebound in 2021. All right, on with the show. Here's my conversation with Eric Huberman, founder and CEO of Hawk Media. Eric, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for having me. I like since the last time I became popular. And I think that's the first time I've had that adjective for me. <laughs> There's a couple of reasons why I wrote that. First and foremost, you're a known guy. In our onboarding form, we you know ask people to put in their LinkedIn profile, their Twitter profile, and we build in a social syndication score of when we have guests, how much do we think they can help share our content. And we try to make it out of a 100-point score, and you broke our model. You're like a 236, <laughs> so you must be very popular. That's good to hear. I like breaking algorithms. Math cannot contain you, and your email list is, well, let's call it sizable. You're popular, Eric. Face it. <laughs> I made it. Feels good. Also a smart, great marketer and want to talk to you about some of the things that you've seen. Let's face it, it's been a crappy year for a lot of people, right? The 800-pound gorilla in the room, the COVID virus affected a lot of businesses. A lot of people were left out of work and a lot of marketers were tapped out of their marketing budgets. You work with a ton of different businesses, ton of different models. First off, give me your sense of now that we're at the end of the year, what did you see from a marketing perspective? Budget still slashed. Give me the summary of 2020. Yeah, you know what I saw? A lot of people panicked in April, March and April, and slashed a bunch of budgets because of the shutdowns. But what I did see is there was already a pretty steep recovery on that side because what's changed, it's funny. Anyone that touches marketing or even doesn't has heard the cliche of like, the first thing you cut in the recession is marketing. The first thing to go is marketing. That made sense for the past millennia to like not spend money on marketing when things are rough, whether that was 2,000 years ago and putting a new sign up. Like you're probably not going to spend money on that when things are tight. The difference is now in the past 10 to 20 years that digital is actually a big part of sales, your marketing is your foot traffic. 
So it's actually like saying shut down the road when there's a recession. Like we can't afford to repave the road. We just shut the whole thing down. Like let's just kill our business. And we talked a lot about this with our clients in March and April when a lot of them were panicking. No business had been lost yet. They just saw the world shutting down and said, we got to shut down all marketing. Like don't do that because then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You cut off your oxygen, you're going to suffocate. You got to be careful. It's something I never understood. We've all heard the moniker, the first person to go when times are bad are the marketers. It's the marketing budgets. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. Hey, you know what we're going to do when our business is struggling? We're going to stop getting new business. We're going to cut off the lifeline. We're going to stop consuming oxygen. That doesn't make any sense. You would think you'd try to be more efficient. Exactly. And if you're a business that can survive without foot traffic, sure. If you're a SaaS business that has annual contracts, and you're not worried about new acquisition, and you want to hold off a month while you let the dust settle of what this is actually going to mean, I could see it. But I'm also just like a lot of investors, I like running in the opposite direction of the crowd. When everyone's pulling back, I double down. And so we convinced most of our clients to stick with it and double down. And our average client doubled their revenue in Q2 of this year. It's got to be industry dependent here, right? Like your travel clients are not doubling down on their marketing efforts. Travel, leisure, hospitality, screwed. Everyone else skyrocketed. Luxury goods? Probably not. No, not true. Because keep in mind, unemployment, I forgot where it topped out, but it's back down to what I heard. The last number I heard was six and a half percent. Our unemployment is not that high. And it was very temporary. And it was with the lowest income levels really that we have mostly. Don't get me wrong. There's some people lost their jobs, but luxury purchasers didn't lose anything in this. I guess if you're an executive at a travel company, you're not buying a luxury purse. If you work at any tech company, you're still going to buy luxury goods because you're home. You can't travel. You don't get to go to your once a year summer trip to France or whatever those luxury purchasers actually spend money on. So you have extra cash because you still have your job. You don't get the fulfillment of that travel. So people are buying a lot of shit. I hear you. And maybe I'm thinking of luxury goods being uh, too narrow of a category, but I'm thinking... Tiffany's jewelry and Louis Vuitton purses, right? Things that are meant to be public fashion statements for when you're out. Well, nobody's out right now. So that turns into luxurious sweatpants, right? I'm sure there's lots of cashmere underwear that got sold this year. Correct. Laundry crushed it. Well, hey, we're all sitting at home together. You got to keep it spicy. And luggage didn't do so well. So you're right. If it's something that people wear to be flashy, but I will say that a lot of those purchases or even to post a picture on social can cover a lot of it. We had record sales for swimwear lines in April because guess what a lot of women wear on TikTok. So (laughs) it's interesting because things changed. But as a business owner, if you shifted, if you pivoted, if you adapted, you probably did really well. And I don't name the industry. I have a friend that owns 25 gyms across Canada got shut down overnight, pivoted to virtual training and built a massive new business for himself that's bigger than his gym chain. Him and Peloton. I think that there's a couple of businesses that obviously saw a spike because of the nature of the pandemic. One of the differences, Peloton just happened to be already there. He was a brick and mortar gym owner for 20 years. This is a pivot that happened because he looked at it and went, well, what do I do? And so going forward, I think the only people that are still on the sidelines are a lot of the big brands. And that was the big shift. The massive brands had to pull out because they can't move fast enough. And so they're a lot more risk adverse. And so when they saw things falling apart, companies like P&G and Unilever, those guys, they shut down marketing heavily. So the companies that service the bigger brands hurt, like a lot of the bigger agencies got crushed. And a lot of the platforms saw a huge revenue drop from them. The funny thing was all the small and medium businesses benefited from it because when all those businesses pulled out of Facebook, the cost to advertise on Facebook dropped 30%. 
So all these small businesses now saw a 30% drop in their cost. They ramped up if they were listening and paying attention. E-commerce market share of consumer purchases in Q2 alone went up over double. So from 13 to 30% of consumer purchases went online. So it was a massive opportunity if you purchase digital. So that being said, it hasn't gone back. We just saw by far record Cyber Monday, the biggest single sales day online in the history of the United States happened this week. So I think you're going to see optimism next year. I think you're going to see that the pandemic is going to cause a hit to the economy, like the actual pandemic, the deaths, the hospitalization, the closures all do. But what's way worse for an economy than this is panic, not pandemic, panic. And when panic is over, which I think it is, I think people kind of get what we're dealing with now. What's unknown is when this is going to end. But now it's more of like, God, can this just end? It's a little bit more frustration than it is panic. Yeah, I think of this as the the third quarter of a football game. Exactly. We had the, you know, the initial shock of the kickoff and the first couple tackles and getting hit in the mouth. And then things start to settle down and we had a little breather a little bit. I think we took our foot off the gas in terms of dealing with COVID. We saw things kind of normalize and then we had our second kickoff. And now all of a sudden we're in the third quarter and, you know, we've been playing most of the game. We're getting a little tired and it isn't the excitement of the fourth quarter and knowing that we're getting to the finish line. We're kind of in the doldrums period. And look, we're talking about the pandemic and not necessarily marketing, but that has a dramatic impact on how people are feeling, what they're buying. You mentioned something interesting to me related to Black Friday, that we had the biggest shopping day ever online. What's interesting to me is in-store purchases, in-store revenue was down 50%, and overall purchases were up by 20%, which inherently means, A, it was the best Black Friday ever. People are leaning more on online channels. Duh, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and there's not a lot of mall traffic. But what I don't know is how much marketing and advertising went into driving that. Is that just a factor if people are sitting at home and want to buy stuff? It's organic or is it marketing driven? I really do believe, and I don't have stats to this, but all the money not being spent on travel and leisure and hospitality is being spent on stock market and goods. Actually believe that. Like they're investing in crypto. Like people are investing some of that money that they're saving. And we have higher savings than we've ever had in 30 years in the United States too. So I think people are saving and investing. And they're also spending more because they're not spending on travel and leisure and hospitality, which I know personally is the biggest expense I have usually. So there's a lot of leftover money. So we're going to see that number. Also, again, people are home. If that number is right and we're at six and a half percent unemployment, that means 93.5% of people still have their jobs and are making money, but have nothing to do. So yeah, I'm going to go shopping. I never shop on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, unless I specifically need something. We actually put out a blog post of all our clients that were running deals. I scrolled through it and bought a bunch of shit because I'm bored. I got a little bit of cash. Because again, what's everybody's holiday plans this year? How many gifts are you buying since nobody's getting together? It's funny. I've kind of gone the opposite direction personally in that normally I'm like, hey, Black Friday, let's go buy all the stuff that we're going to buy for the year that we know we're going to get and take advantage of the sales. And it's kind of the big binge. And then you purge sort of the rest of the year. And this year, because of the pandemic, it was kind of like, if I want something right now, I'm going to go out and get it. And then I got to Black Friday and I just didn't give a shit. We moved, so I had to get a couple appliances. So we'd made a couple of big purchases that we planned on that we waited two months till Black Friday for. But optimism is the biggest driver. So as I mentioned, like panic is gone. People are going to buy. Now back to the advertising thing. Everybody's online now. There's no brick and mortar. So it's no longer location, location, location and being in a great location. It's having great marketing that actually helps you benefit online. So our team is watching. What are your competitors doing? What's going on? So how do we make sure that anyone that wanted to buy a house plant 
during Black Friday, Cyber Monday, bought it from the SIL and not one of their competitors. That's where the marketing comes in. And it is a zero-sum game in that kind of a sense. They're going to buy from you or someone else. And that's where that marketing comes in. And the people that aren't doing that literally are, are losing so much ground. The people that pulled back in March and April that continued to not be able to catch up. This is where, unless you're a big company that had a war chest that can really come in strong, a lot of people are going to really struggle next year that tried to take off this year. So you mentioned that the Procter & Gamble's of the world, the CPG companies had to pull back because of the pandemic. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. And that they are slow to move and there was too much risk. So they decided to hold on to their pennies. It created a vacuum and an opportunity for the SMBs and the growth stage companies. Now that we're at the end of the year, is that marketing budget coming back? Where do we stand in terms of overall advertising spend? Yes, it is. And I think those companies work in three-year, five-year, 10-year timelines. I think a lot of them are just waiting till January to turn stuff back on. I've heard that from our agency. Like Most of our clients didn't do that stuff. But my friends that own other agencies that are working with some of those guys said that they're planning on coming back Q1. All right. So the sale on Facebook ads is potentially ending at the end of the holiday season. And it's already come back a lot. To be real, the sale is gone. The sale was Q2, some of Q3. Elections crushed it too. And then you've got holiday season, which I can tell you, I think our clients spent three times as much in November as they did in October. And that all raises the cost. So the elections in October were crushing in terms of cost. November, you've got holidays. December, I think you're going to have some opportunity if you're the kind of company that can sell. January, again, same thing. If you're a company that sells in January, if you're fashion, beauty, it's tough, but certain things do sell well in January. And then I think it's kind of back to normal. So talk to me about what you think is going to happen next year. We're going to see the big boys come back onto the ad platforms. We're still likely going to be facing a pandemic. It looks like, you know, vaccines, best case scenario, we are all vaccinated halfway through the year. Probably not going to be that fast. What do you think happens? So Q2, 
30% of purchases were online. Q3 was like 27%. I'm not sure where it's going to normalize, but I think it'll stay above 25, give or take. It'll definitely stay above 20. That's of overall transactions, 25% are happening online. Yeah, consumer purchases. So for next year, I think these big CPGs, it was 13% in February. Like literally pre-COVID, it was 13%. That's an important part of our business, but it's not a huge part. It's something. You pay attention to 13%, but you're not going to double down on 13%. Now it's 30 So now all the big guys who move slower, I think this year are going to realize this is no longer a department. This is a core business. Online is becoming more and more the core business. And so competition will go up online with advertising. But I also think the way companies advertise is going to have to change because the way we work with like e-commerce and D2C, the performance side of marketing is not how CPG is used to working. The way CPG works is you walk into Ralph's and you buy Gillette versus Schick. That's how CPG thinks is how do we make sure that when you're walking across shelves, you remember our brand and prefer it to someone else. It's the, an emotional connection. It's a brand recognition thing, right. which means when that's the case that you're not trying to actually manage distribution through marketing too, you can spend a lot more money because distribution's handled. You just have to be the winner. That's how they've thought. That's going away. So other than being on Amazon, which is a whole different animal in terms of marketing, we have a whole team for that you're going to have to think about marketing very differently. So I think a lot of the CMOs of these big guys are going to be needing to adapt very quickly in the way that they purchase media and the way they think about it. Because if they're just going for broad range, hit everybody and remind them who we are, that's going to work a little bit. Because like when you think I need a razor, you might go buy a Gillette, but you're not going to... But Dollar Shave Club, if they're running performance well under Unilever, they're going to start beating you because your shelf space isn't a strategic advantage anymore because it's only 70%, 50% of your revenue instead of 87. So I think the headline here is the big boys are coming back. Marketing is going to get more expensive. So advertising budgets at the top tier are going to come back. How do you think that affects the people that saw opportunity in 2020, the D to C, the the SMB, the growth stage companies? Do they just, hey, we got to pay more for marketing? Do they shrink their marketing budgets? Well, again, the market share doubled. So I think even if the cost goes up a little bit, you've got so much more market share available now. I think that you're actually fine as those guys. I think the word of caution I have for any D2C companies is actually using your 2020 projections and extrapolating them. I've watched a lot of companies take their Q2 growth, which was double, and think that, well, then we'll double in Q3 and double in Q4 and double in Q1. Like They think that they're going to now double quarter over quarter every quarter and aren't actually thinking logically about the fact that this was a massive one-time shift. So I don't think it's going back, to be clear. I don't think they're going to have to have less revenue. But thinking that their growth is going to maintain that rate is insane and just misguided. So that's something we've actually seen the mistake made a few times. Yeah, it's interesting to think that there is an opportunity to gain market share and how much that's going to influence how your marketing budgets or how your marketing effectiveness will be. So these growth stage companies that kept their foot on the gas through the pandemic and went from 13% to 30% online purchases, right? Let's say that that difference is from a D to C brand that took market share away from a CPG company. Now they own 30% of the market. Why does that impact what their marketing budgets are going to be moving forward? 
So to answer the question very straightforward, if you're an agency, advertising spend is going to increase massively next year because the companies that held off are coming back and the companies that didn't hold off grew massively. I think digital is going to skyrocket next year. I really do. And then it's just going to be how does it level out because of the supply and demand nature of it and the price elasticity? Like, where is it going to play out? But I think the market's going to be massive, which is why you see all the tech stocks shooting through the roof. The market doesn't go up because of what's happening today. It goes up because of what they think is going to happen in a year or two, which is this isn't going back the other way. And now this went from a nice to have to big brands to it's, again, the core business. And so digital is going to be big. So you mentioned that it's a zero sum game. If we're seeing digital rise in prominence, that means that something is suffering. Talk to me about the marketing channels and tactics that you think are not going to be as effective in 2021. There's a lot of noise. So I think the, the biggest thing, and this actually hasn't changed, I just don't think most people have paid attention to it. It really comes down to you have to keep and own your customer because that's going to be where companies already went online and where you have to continue to win is you have to focus on, okay, you can acquire customers. There's tons of them. The market's grown, et cetera. But now it's about building a wall around your customers so that they keep buying from you. They keep coming back because if spends go up as it gets more competitive, the cost is going to go up. It's going to get harder to compete. And so keeping your customers, keeping them buying from you with nurturing campaigns, good content, et cetera, good email marketing, good SMS marketing, those are the things that are going to help companies win that over and over again for the past decade that I've been doing this, I watch companies kind of ignore that part of their business. Yeah, I think that that's, and we go back to talking about the CPG companies, that was always the big problem is that they didn't necessarily own the customer relationships. They were dependent on the distribution centers. Hey, you go buy your Colgate at Ralph's. I had a meeting with a massive consumer company that everybody on this podcast would know last month. They don't have any customer data or CRM. They don't have an email platform. They don't have a CRM for their customers at all. And we're talking about a multi-billion dollar company. They, they do digital too. They send everyone off to Amazon or walmart.com, et cetera. Don't buy on there. It's like, this is a month ago. This is not 10 years ago. We're talking right now. And this is a multi-billion dollar company that still, and still doesn't have it. We talked to them about it. They still haven't pulled the trigger. How was that possible? It's 2020. <laughs> I say this not because I think it makes any sense. I think it's because it's a good highlight. Like they're not alone. I see it all the time with some of the biggest companies in the country. It's not even innovative anymore. We're way past this being an innovation. And now it's just like, how the hell don't you do email marketing and SMS marketing at this point? SMS is only like a year or two old. So that's a little different, but like email. I get it. And I'm also not giving my email address to my toothpaste manufacturer. Well, you might or you might not, to be honest. Once you start buying online, if it said, hey, we'll give you 10% off to give you, sure, here. And again, I don't need you. I need a percentage of people. It's all a numbers game. And there's a percentage of people that are hyper loyal to Crest and would give them their email address and probably forget that they like Crest and they buy Colgate. And that was because Crest didn't do it. I've never heard from my toothpaste companies. I don't know why. So I have no loyalty to any of them. And I just pick up the one, which by the way, if one of them actually had any reason to be loyal, I probably would because I don't really care. I'm trying to think of what my toothpaste brand is. It's not Sensodyne. It's one of the like soft on your teeth companies. And I can't even think of where to go to give them my email address. The truth is because Amazon has my email address and it's subscribe and save and it just shows up. Which works. It's a halfway there kind of thing. But let's say, again, it was Sensodyne. What else does Sensodyne sell that they could be getting you for because you love their toothpaste? Dentures? Sure. Hopefully not. <laughs> the idea to brush your teeth is not to have dentures, but you get the picture. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Give me your predictions for 2021. The large CPG brands are coming back. There's some companies that picked up some market share. They're going to continue to advertise. Anything else that we should expect for next year? 
I think you're going to see brands succeed that double down on content and engagement with their audiences and really build an ecosystem for their audience and something to do and really tap into like Red Bull is a good example of this. Good content, good way to reach their audience, things that they want to see that have nothing to do with the product, ways to keep them engaged because people are consuming 70% more digital content now than they did pre-COVID. And I don't think that's changing either. The amount of content being generated has also gone up massively. So everybody's got a friend with a podcast now. You and I both do. We're talking to each other. (laughs) It's one of those things where you have to find a way to really hit the ground running, be compelling, get that attention. And that's where the skill comes in. You're going to have to capture an audience and keep them. One brand that I've seen just skyrocket in terms of popularity is Viore, the like men's athleisure company. What's it called? I've gotten so many ads. V-U-O-R-I. I just came across. But all of a sudden, all my friends are buying their pants. That's part of it too. I talked to another brand yesterday by a woman named Jill Zarin, who was on Real Housewives of New York. And she's smart. There are people that are doubling down on like, what do people want right now? We talked about the home workout, but like the companies that think about We're going to be stuck at home through March, if not longer. I said two weeks in March of this year. So who the hell knows? I'm not going to make a call. But like (laughs) winter's probably not looking good at this point. And so what do people do when they're stuck at home? Well, they probably want to do a home workout. Thank you, Peloton. Thank you, all these other companies. Amazon was sold out of weights for the first four months of this thing or six months. Athleisure wear. Most people are, I don't know if you are, not even going to ask. Most people aren't wearing jeans anymore. I thought you were going to say, are you wearing pants right now? I actually happen to be wearing pants and they are jeans today. They are jeans. Okay. I am wearing jeans. I have boots on right now. But you're going to the office. That's the difference. You're going out to the office. A lot of people are stuck at home and they're not. And so why? By the way, the first month of this, I wore jeans. I was like, no, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get ready for it, et cetera. And then I got to the point where I was like, screw that. I'm going to wear workout clothes. And I'm going to go, if I have a break in the day, I'm going to go for a run or something. Why would I wear jeans all day when I'm not out and about? Everyone sees my chest up. What am I worried about? So I am wearing pants, but they're sweatpants right now, which used to be a sign that you've given up on life. Now it's just a sign that you're taking advantage of the times. Point being, (laughs) companies that have come out with luxury sweatpants have crushed it. Aviator Nation, a great sweatsuit company. I'll throw the shout out to my favorite brand, Miles Apparel. There you go. So what I've seen is a lot of companies start figuring that out. Masks, by the way, I think are a massive market. And I I hate gold rush markets. Like when everybody was high on crypto a few years ago, cannabis, I think has some real validity, but there's a lot of bullshit in it too. Like I don't like the gold rush when everybody rushed runs in the same direction, but masks specifically, it's like if all of a sudden underwear was invented, right? All of a sudden, everyone's going to wear these things and you got to change them and wash them constantly because you're breathing in them. It's going to be basically a part of your daily routine for a while. I think there's a great market for that. My prediction for next year is that the party clothes market, the sequin dresses, the tuxedos, the club wear, by the end of next year, people are going to want to rage. The alcohol companies are going to do so well. They've never done poorly. (laughs) Sure. They all sold out too. I don't know if you know this, but most premium tequila companies sold out in the pandemic too. 1942, (laughs) you could not find it. It's funny. But with masks, I do think that this is going to be top of mind for a while. I don't think that's going away. I agree with you on party clothes. And that's just the key in general as a business owner. Watch what's going on in society. We know everyone's locked home, but they want some adventure. So like our client Diamondback Bicycles sold out. Bicycles, one of the biggest bike companies in the world, gone. No bikes. Don't tell my wife, but I'm looking for a home spin bike. We got a TV set up in our home gym and I don't want to buy the Peloton. We already have the screen there. I can't find a bike. Shoot me an email. My partner just found a great one. He said that was a tenth the price of a Peloton. I have a Peloton. I was the idiot about that. But uh, and I have both have the TV right behind the Peloton. It's kind of ridiculous. But all these things, those trends aren't changing for a little while. So that's not too late. And then as things start to open up, 
just be smart and logical. Like what you just said it, you just nailed it. When the vaccines proliferated or whatever it's going to take, people are going to want to party their ass off. So sequin dresses, tuxedos, champagne, these are things that are going to skyrocket. So if I'm a brand, what can I do to play into that market when it happens? What can I get ready for that I'm ready for Q4 of next year, whatever prediction, and don't over leverage for it, but get ready for it. Get your Find Your Freedom ad campaign. Queue it up for Q3. You might be sitting on it till Q4. Hopefully it'll be sometime soon. And when this first hit, we were talking about this. Now I've realized the opening transition is slow. It's not fast. It's not like, and today everyone gets to go outside. It happens slowly. But at first I was like, someone's got to buy all the out-of-home inventory in New York. So when things open up, they can be like, welcome back to reality. Someone could own a great campaign of welcome back to reality. It's over. And your freedom came, thank you to, I don't know, Patron Tequila, whatever it is. There's an opportunity there that I think someone with big budgets could take advantage of too. Find your fun coming Q4 2021. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Eric Huberman, founder and CEO of Hawk Media. In part two of our interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Eric and I are going to talk about his strategies for finding attractive MarTech investments. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Eric, you can find the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Eric Huberman, E-R-I-K-H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N, or you could visit his company's website, which is hawkmedia, H-A-W-K-E-M-E-D-I-A.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Schaap. B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.